Hey, everybody, before we get to the meat of today's show, I'm going to serve up a little appetizer for you here and tell you about another libertarian podcast, another great podcast out there, hosted by our friends over at Good Morning Liberty, also known as Nate and Charlie. And of course, there's been some talk and some rumors and some things swirling about name mispronunciations and they might have called me Jack. I might have called Nate Nick. None of that matters. None of that matters at all. What matters is the awesome show they deliver multiple days a week. It's a uh, five-day-per-week podcast. They have an awesome segment coming up at the end of the week called the Dumb Bleep of the Week, and it is hilarious. It's a can't-miss. It's one of those segments that, you know, even if you're not listening to every episode, you got to tune back in. You don't miss the dumb bleep. So check out Good Morning Liberty. Go subscribe to their podcast. Good Morning Liberty. Check it out today with Nate and Charlie. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another edition of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Guys, got another great show for you this week. Before I get to talk about my guest, first thing I got to do is talk about Lines of Liberty, what we've built here, the great shows that we have. This is your first time? You know, somebody out there, it's always their first time. So I got to tell you, for the newbies, every Monday, we've got a show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our flagship program. Mark does an incredible job. He's one of the best interviewers in the Liberty Movement. That show is on Monday. On Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. Brian is the funny man of the Lions of Liberty, also the angry man. And uh, his is a current events-centric show. That's Electric Liberty Land. And, of course, on Thursday, this show, this is focused on... The criminal justice system, it's focused on individuals who are overcoming obstacles in order to find their freedom. Please, if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy everything we do for you, please, at the very least, subscribe. Go to your Apple or Spotify or Overcast, wherever you're listening. Please leave a review and give us five stars. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you really like us, I mean, the least you could do is toss us $5, guys. We have great bonus content. If you are in the uh, our patron group, which you can join by going to patreon.com slash Liberty, for as little as $5, you get all of our bonus content, which last night you would have heard this interview with uh, David Gornoski. You could have seen it live, streamed in our uh, private Facebook group. You get from Brian Rick Williams five days a week. You get Good Morning Bleephead which is some uh, quick current events, hard-hitting stuff from Brian. You get Conspiracy Corner. Degenerate Gamblers is starting back up. You get a bunch of the debates that Mark hosts. You get them ahead of schedule from everyone else. You get our our biggest interviews before everyone else. Why would you not join the Pride? To do that, just go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Today's guest, like I said, David Gornoski. Been wanting to talk to David for a long time. I was just on his show last week, 
Really excited for you to uh, hear from this guy, host of a uh, radio show down in Florida called A Neighbor's Choice. David has been leading the charge in so many things, but specifically what interests me, well, we talked about a lot of different stuff, but where I first heard about David was his passion for criminal justice reform, and we have both brought a lot of the same people on our program. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with David Gornoski. All right, all right. We are live in the Lions of Liberty Pride here, our private Facebook group. Guys, welcome. Uh, joined by David Gornoski. David, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And for you guys who don't know David, I was just on his show uh, recently. It's called A Neighbor's Choice and focus on politics, science, and culture through the lens of Jesus's personhood revolution. And David and I have a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of the same guests on. We have a similar passions for criminal justice reform. And uh, so we know a lot of the same people in, uh, in that community. So I kind of wanted to start out, David, um, before I ask you when you started your show, just to zero in on criminal justice reform, when did that? When did you start really going down that rabbit hole and becoming passionate about cr- criminal justice reform? Well, just seeing how it affects people in real life. You know, when you see someone going to a, a nonviolent, petty little crime for even thirty days in local jail can have tremendous uh, trauma and effects that destroy their hopes. You bring in people who had hope and optimism and were even um, uh, I guess you could say kind of um, innocent and then they get it caught up in the wrong crowd for a petty little nonviolent thing, like maybe uh, alleged possession of paraphernalia or something like that, like for marijuana. And then all of a sudden their whole life is just totally scarred by being put in a cage with violence where there's no protection. There's no self-defense rights. There's no uh, individual personhood that's allowed to thrive. You know, prisons are kind of a preview of what the Great Reset seems to want us to all be, which is you're supposed to pick a identity tribe, and there's no place for rugged individuals in uh, in prison. You know, you pick this team or that team, and unfortunately, that's the way it works. And now politics today, of course, they want to do the same thing for everybody else. You can't just be, in, you know, protecting the human person. Now you have to, you know, pick an identity politics group and and battle out through that. So that's a sign that uh, the prison culture is now seeping into the uh, general culture in Western societies, at least uh, with this identity politics thing. But yeah, that's, I just had an interest in seeing, um, you can, of course, I was interested in Ron Paul's message mm-hmm. back in 2007 about, you know, the principles of liberty. But really what motivates people is when you see real world people uh, who you know suffer, you know, just even around your community or just stories you hear, people you meet, and seeing the scars that don't need to be there because of the callous disregard for human dignity that's baked into our society. Absolutely. And it's funny you bring up the uh, that, you know, our society's becoming like prison. I 100% agree with you. I was just listening to an interview of uh, the Lex Friedman podcast. I've, just started listening to him recently, an awesome podcast. And he was interviewing Roger Reeves, who's a very famous drug smuggler who I'd love to get on this show. And I will try to do that soon. 
and he was telling his stories about being in U.S. prisons. He's he was in different you know different uh, prisons around the world, but uh, especially in U.S. prisons. And he was talking about especially on the West Coast that it very segregated. Um, you have your activity rooms, and the whites are in one room, and the Mexicans are in one room, the blacks are in another room, and if you try to go between them, um, you get harassed. They want to they want to you know do background checks on you and, and, and look into you. And that's exactly what is happening with society today. And it's being cheered on by our political class and the media as some form of uh, equality or, or higher, uh, higher purpose, which is just insane. It's uh, the opposite yeah. of progress. Were you going to yeah, say something? Because they're intellectually bankrupt. They don't have any ideas. And unfortunately, the liberty movement has played a part of that by not understanding how anthropology informs where we're at and, and how human behavior operates and how our desires operate. And so you've, you've got this situation where people, they don't believe in, they don't have enough healthy epistemological discernment for understanding how so many of the sacred cows institutions of our society are, are paper tigers that deserve to be overthrown with correct science and evidence and innovation. And we need to have, like those folks in UFOs that the government talks about, what the heck is that all about? They're trying to tell us we're going to have to have perpetual lockdowns to prevent climate change or whatever that is. Why don't they get us a hold of that technology that doesn't have propulsion that can go from suborbital to underwater in half a second? That's what our own government, they're reporting all these different incidences of this technology. I don't care whose it is. We need to have access to that kind of science so that we can get that kind of stuff before we have to have perpetual lockdowns and garbage wind farms and garbage solar panel technology. And I'm not having no problem with those technologies, but the idea that you're going to force an entire economy to be built on those things is laughable. So we don't have an imagination. We can't even say anti-gravity without laughing because we've become so pessimistic and cynical as a society that we can't even dream big anymore. Of course, people laughed at the Wright brothers too, when they wanted to get on a flying contraption machine, but they're not laughing anymore, of course. And, and, the, and the sad reality is, is that that kind of uh, dim-witted skepticism of having hope has become such a mainstream um, feature of our society that holds us back. We need to have uh, defeat cancer. We need to defeat diabetes. We need to defeat uh, the, the limitations of gravity and, and combustion engines that are holding us back. We need to have low-temperature nuclear energy. We need to have elemental transmutation at room temperature so that we don't have to blow up the earth to get rare earth minerals. Those are all kinds of things that Americans should be mm -hmm. excited to think about. But the only place you're allowed to innovate in it is the world of atoms. I mean, is in the world of bits, not atoms. You can't do anything in the world of atoms. Everything in atoms is regulated uh, by government intervention. But more importantly, it's regulated by dumb, outdated narratives uh, that we think are settled science, but in reality are just uh, social phenomena. You know what I mean? The idea that, oh, don't touch relativity. That's That's been established. How do you know? Mm -hmm. Don't touch the atomic model. That's been established. That's the holy trinity of physics. How do you know that? And, I, and I'm not here to debate physicists. That's why we have our chief science advisor, Dr. Yu, to handle them. Uh, but uh, I've seen enough of his evidence to suggest there are so many unanswered questions that we just don't have the courage to talk about uh, because, oh, well, I'm not an expert. Well, that's left brain thinking. Yeah. You know, have you heard of Ian McGilchrist's book, 
about the master and his emissary, about the left and the right brain hemispheres? I, I have not, no. It's a fascinating book on neuroscience of how left and right hemisphere work together. And he argues that the West has become dominated by too much left hemisphere thinking, which wants to categorize, sort, separate, and break down truths into little specialty categories. Mm-hmm. And that has its place. Uh, but uh, the right brain hemisphere, more about looking at the holistic picture, looking at systems thinking, and that's been banished almost from the West. And you can't, ha- and we, we weren't like that before, but for whatever reason, we're stuck. And, uh, it's going to take more than just enlightenment theories about rights to get out of this, you know? Oh, 100% agree. And I see we have some people watching here. So if anyone has a question for David, just uh, pop it in the chat and I'll bring it up on the screen. Um, so with, with all of this happening, with and Vin Armani, or now I guess he, he goes by Cyprian, um, talks about that we're, we're entering a, a dim age in that, uh, you know, aspect of that being people don't question they, they don't look into how cell phones work or um, even how electric cars work or all this new technology coming out 5g d- d- different things it's it's become magic it's uh it's something of uh it's something that really even at the companies that create and uh, manufacture and distribute uh, th- these different uh, services and products there's really nobody who understands the entire piece it's just uh you know, you have an engineer who knows his job. You have the testers who know their job. The marketing knows how to talk about it. The people who get the financing and how to pay for it. But nobody knows the entire piece. So to get back to anthropology and how that plays into the issues that we're dealing with now, how how can humans, by going back to our, our basics, our, our roots, um, solve some of the world, the, uh, the world's problems that we're dealing with today. Yeah. Well, you have to understand the origins of the state. And I don't think anthropology, I don't think libertarians have really thought about the anthropological origins of the state enough. Uh, you've got the Hoppian uh, view of uh, history where he says that some pe- there's two ways to get, you know, property. You can be a homesteader or, you know, do a contract trade or something like that, or, or, or you can expropriate, right? And so there's this battle in history between expropriators of property and those who, who are earn that property through nonviolent means. That doesn't give quite, uh, I mean, there's something to that, but it doesn't quite give the right narrative that I think is more accurate about the specifics of how the state has functioned in society. The state is a religious enterprise. It, its mm-hmm. roots are in religion. And uh, that is more of a, it's not a it's not actually a I'm not disparaging the state by saying that. I'm saying that that religion is the, the idea of the sacred here is so important. Uh, you can look at Durkheim and the idea of religion functioning not so much about what it metaphysically is claiming, but rather how it binds social communities together. It's religion means in the Latin to bind together. So the question is what binds us together and why is it that um Human species are so the human species is so prone to having reciprocal violence. Unlike you know the if you look at the wolf species, uh, you know when you have a fight over who's going to be the alpha, if the one who loses he submits his neck and they don't go for the final blow. Usually, uh, there's a there's a dominance and submission mechanism that allows animals to restrain themselves from out of control violence. But we know that human beings are different from that. Human mm-hmm. beings are vendetta based. 
we're, we're very mimetic. We like to imitate even to the point of genocide where you kill my friend and I kill your family. And then uh, whoever's left who survived my raid on your family uh, vows revenge and gets an army together and spends his whole life training to invade my homeland and destroy my neighbors and my village. And whoever's left, left from that wants to avenge. And it's just on and on and on. So why is it that the human species is still here? That's the question we have to ask. It was religion that human beings f stumbled onto. Uh, and it's not that they said, oh, therefore there's a deity. Therefore, let me come up with a story that makes me feel good. That's not what they did. That's what we tell ourselves about religion because we don't want to recognize its roots and what we're seeing all around us today. We want to believe that we've transcended religion. We don't want to believe that what Fauciism and all this stuff is, is still a, a sense of the sacred. We're still enclosed in the social function that religion operated under uh, in the past, which is to bind people together based on the exclusion of a common threat, to, to be able to purge our bad energy between each other onto a common threat and to believe in our own BS. Uh, so it's not a, a conspiracy. We really believe that our, our scapegoats are deserving of being banished from the community. We really believe that their arbitrary differences are a tell that they are somehow contaminating our community. And we believe that if our uh, community is able to eliminate those common enemies, that our society will flourish and be better off for it. That's how that's what religion is structurally. And that's what bound communities together for a long time. And uh, and and so the idea of attacking the state from an intellectual uh, let's just reason this out is is basically uh, to still be operating under the mythic origins of the state to not understand what it's really being driven by. Right. So if you think, oh, the problem with, uh, you know, people who buy into statism is that they just don't have the facts correct, then you're still operating under the assumption of statism. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's not facts uh, that are persuading them. It's passions. It's deeply rooted um, need for uh, belonging, for transcendence. And that transcendence is found when people can join together and eliminate common enemies who threaten their shared dogmas of the way the world is supposed to be. So you talked about scapegoats there, and I, I, I agree with you. Um, people bond over scapegoats, over enemies. Even you, you look at look at a lot of couples. You know, couples will have uh, you know, or, or their family will have a another family. They talk about. You have cliques in, in high schools, in colleges of, of kids that you know that they'll talk about these other people that uh, we're better than them because of this. That's that's it's, it's natural. It's, it's human nature, and absolutely that happens on on the on the greater uh, societal level. So in today's world, what well, what do you see or who do you see now and maybe looking into the next few years as uh, as the scapegoats of the state? Well, you know, the scapegoats of the state, are. there's different ways of looking at it. So politicians are scapegoats. Okay, so we get excited about personalities and avatars and we get caught up emotionally about the particular narratives and personality effects of certain politicians and we get fixated on their being raised up or demolished. And uh, so, but if you get fixated on politicians, then the system never changes. So that's a scapegoat. Uh, you have other scapegoats. Military soldiers can be scapegoats. They're sent off to die 
you know, people say all the time, you have the right to vote because that soldier went out and shed his blood for your right to vote. But what did that have to do in Iraq or Libya or whatever, or Afghanistan? That wasn't really tied to the right to vote, but somehow it mystically is tied to the lifeblood of the preservation of the state to somehow send off people to risk their life uh, for the state. It's somehow, and, and the idea is, the story is, is that, well, they went off to liberate the Afghanis, Right. As if, so there, there's the state's kind of myth in real time action saying, hey, the job of the state, the state exists to liberate the world from the shackles of the primitive origins of whatever cultural hangups still persist around the globe. Well, it started with that particular war, right? They started by selling it as a defensive reaction for right. 9 11, right? Well, and then it morphed. Too, yeah. Yeah, more. It morphed into that. Um, but you know, that's what, remember after nine 11, everybody felt united, right? You know, everybody felt united. Yeah. And that's a, another way of looking at the scapegoats that people felt like people were sacrificed by this foreign threat and they innocents were scapegoated for something they didn't have anything to do with. They're just citizens. They're just individuals. And so there was a righteous anger that united people against who, who did this to our community and let's, you know, let's expunge them from the face of the earth. And then it morphed into, well, I guess if we're going to stay here, let, we should stay there because we've got to teach them how to have democratic values in a Jeffersonian republic in the mountains of Afghanistan. Uh, and that, and of course, it always changes. But, um, you know, ultimately, uh, the, you know, what, what all, of, all of the scapegoats that we're dealing with today are usually dominated by uh, what Rene Girard called victimism which is where you pretend to have concern for victims, but you're actually using that to accumulate political power or mm -hmm. social power or economic power. So George W. Bush recently said, you know, I'm worried about you guys leaving Afghanistan because women are going to get hurt. Women and children are going to get hurt. And it's like, well, women and children are already getting hurt in Afghanistan. And a lot of them are getting hurt because of what you led and, and, and championed to keep going in that country. Uh, and I've talked to, you know, Marines like, uh, Ben Adams, who's a state representative now in Idaho, where he said, yeah, we were stationed over there to protect the warlords from uh, uh, being uh, from having any, uh, you know, uh, from ha from any of we were protecting warlords to allow them to abuse children. And, you know, one of the children that was abused by these warlords ended up trying to blow up and get revenge on the warlord. And, and the soldiers, the United States soldiers that George W. Bush and others sent were there to stop any accountability happening. That's what George W. Bush does. And that's what everybody else who, who's in favor of that stuff does. They were li literally do? aiding and abetting pedophilia. Yeah. So what does he do? He, so what does he do? He just believes his own BS and he says, well, I'm worried about women and children now. Well, you weren't worried about any of it because all your actions speak otherwise, you know, mm -hmm. but that's the thing is that the, the dominant myth of our time is, uh, you know, you call it revenge of the nerds, Christianity, you can call it, uh, victimism, you can call it super Christianity. It's this attempt to use the concern for victims that Christianity unleashed in the world, but to weaponize it as a justification to keep the scapegoat mechanism going, which is always on the hunt for some justification of sacrifice. We have to sacrifice these people because this represents the greater good. Caiaphas is the great political philosopher that's important here. He was the man that led to the murder of, of Jesus. You know, he said, it is better that one man die than the whole nation perish. That's the heart and soul of politics. And now, 
you know, in the ancient world, they didn't have to come up with victim narratives as much to justify sacrifice. You know, in the Roman world, if you were a peasant or a slave, you didn't have rights. You know, nobody said, oh, let's concern ourselves with the rights of gladiators. Let's concern ourselves with the rights of slaves. Let's concern ourselves with children and women. They didn't care. If you were of lower power status, you were to be used by anybody who was above you. And, uh, you know, there may have some restraints to some degree, but it, it was more about how much power and how much you can get away with. And, uh, and that was the world that Christianity entered into, and it broke through some of that hierarchical oppression. Uh, but at the same time, human beings want to keep going and creating more excuses to gang up, to create a transcendent, cathartic experience of vanquishing some foe. And so that's what victimism is. It's a we're we're in a halfway stage between what Jesus did, which is he 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 said it is finished. What was finished? What was finished on the cross was the uh, ignorance of what we were doing in the ancient world, where we would sacrifice scapegoats to create order and meaning and safety. He exposed it by becoming a scapegoat and uh, by defeating the scapegoat mechanism by. Uh, by being true to himself and not engaging in reciprocal violence. And that unleashed this counter story that's in contention with the, um, the vestiges of the ancient mythic world uh, where they want to continually justify acts of aggression and to do so now in the name of victims. And so, so what I'm saying is there was classic scapegoating. Mm -hmm. Then Jesus came in and broke that piece. It broke it into pieces and now people have to still, they still want a scapegoat, but instead of it uniting people like it used to do, which would create some relative order based on a noble lie that this man had to die for everybody to feel better, he broke that. So we don't have the innocence of that anymore. That's why Paul says on Mars Hill, God winked at man's ignorance because in the past there was some kind of weaning period where humanity was still wrestling with the ignorance of using scapegoat violence to avert chaos and social disorder. But Jesus kind of weaned us off of that with his performance art where he became the scapegoat. And instead of the stories staying on the side of the oppressors, uh, the gospel stories stay with the victim. And so, you know, when you read Oedipus Rex, the, the text says that Oedipus was guilty of the accusations that were leveled against him, that he was guilty of incest. He was guilty of patricide. He says he was guilty. He admits that his sins are what caused the plague, and he blots out his eyes, and he's purged from the community, and it says the pandemic was averted, or, or the, the plague was stopped. So that's a text of the ancient world in which the scapegoat mechanism is hidden. You don't even see a scapegoating happen. We, you know, to this day, we don't even recognize that Oedipus was probably wrongly accused. We have entire psychoanalytical theories based around the Oedipal myth, that he was guilty of the things that were accused of him. We don't stop and think, maybe the victors are writing history. Maybe they're writing guilt into the myth, the mythic mm -hmm. scapegoat's voice. What Jesus does is he has his followers account for an honest depiction of what actually happened, that he was wrongfully persecuted, that he was innocent, that he was not deserving of the charges, that he did not respond in kind, he did not reciprocate with aggression. And so it tells that story, and now it unveils the sausage-making of the sacred. And that's what we're involved in 2,000 years later is Jesus basically destroyed the scapegoat mechanism, which is the heart of governments, 
And now governments are kind of limping along, kind of dysfunctionally falling apart. It's like a machine that had one little wrench stuck in it, and it's causing the entire machine to fall apart and kind of break down. And it could happen a lot easier if people would start imitating Jesus, but they don't. And so, including Christians. And so, because of that, we're in this halfway point where the scapegoat mechanism of the past doesn't work. And we don't want to imitate Jesus enough to let go of our aggressive scapegoating heart. And so, we're in this mid midpoint, which we call victimism, where we're, oh, look, here's a victim, here's a victim, here's a victim. But we don't want to let go of the collective violence. That's the problem. That's where we're at today. Well, what do you see happening here in the next few years with, I mean, or the next few months with, uh, we have this divide that's, you know, staring us in the face, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And, yeah. you know, Lord, Lord King Fauci um, is, is getting more intense every day with uh, the threats that the, the vaccinated, that, that uh, local communities need to start putting more requirements in place for people to get vaccinated. Where, where do you see this leading to? Well, you know, it, it's going to backfire wherever it leads because, you know, Jesus said, if you want to understand what I've unleashed in history, understand what this means. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, meaning the person in the group who is excommunicated, who is purged, who is scapegoated. When that happens, it's going to backfire and tear to pieces the, group, the groups and the cultures that want to maintain order through violent exclusion. So whenever you want to hear about these mandates of medicine and you have to get the product and all this stuff, that's all going to backfire because there's a new world order that has been inaugurated for 2,000 years that is based on that principle. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so it always will backfire. That doesn't mean that they can have some temporary victories in coercion-based um, uh, coercion campaigns. Mm -hmm. But what the, what the Gospels do is they kind of go hand-in-hand with the evolution of media technology. So, you know, the texts of the Gospels were written in a, you know, a text-based media. Now, today, we have decentralized HD streaming. We have podcasting. We have decentralized web. We have all these different things that accelerate our ability to see through the lies of mythic narratives. And the mythic narratives are what are required to maintain people's kind of willful ignorance about what they're doing. Does that make sense? When yes. people say, oh, I'm just going along with the science, it's harder to do that when there's so many dis decentralized voices speaking a different word. And that's what the Gospels kind of create this environment by which people can record the alternative perspectives that show, hey, wait a second, people are being victimized by this product. They don't need this product in some cases. And those who you're forcing to take this product, some people are having uh, some adverse effects, and those are sacrifices. You shouldn't sacrifice people, and we wouldn't have that if you wouldn't be so coercive and heavy-handed with your approach to medicine. That's why we need to have a separation of state and cure, right? But mm -hmm. unfortunately, the state and cures have been tied together from the beginning. You know, even the Greeks, the word pharmacon, where we get pharmaceuticals, is, came from this idea that this you could, every now and then when times were socially stressed out, you could parade around somebody that's a little bit different. Maybe they're a hunchback. Maybe they're disabled. Maybe they have a, a 
you know, a, a, you know, some kind of disfigurement, and you say this person's the cause of our problems. They're contaminating our community with social stress. They're the poison. This pharmacesis, pharma, pharmacon. It's the poison and the cure. So they would be the poison, and then you beat them up and parade them around the town, and then you kick them out or kill them, and that was the cure. You see. And so this idea that, and then you had back, back in the day, you had Rain Man, the Rain Man, the rain, Rainmaker, who would do the certain rituals and the certain incantations that only he was allowed to do on the outside of the town. And if he did them correctly, then a rain was supposed to come. If he did them incorrectly, then he would not provide rain and he could be sacrificed himself. And so there's this deep, deep-seated connection between monopoly government institutions and their uh, control over what is uh, legitimate medicine and what is illegitimate medicine, what is legitimate food and what is illegitimate food. So we see all those things coming back into the play here right now where government is now being aggressive about, hey, you can't eat red meat. That's forbidden. You know, that's where they want to go with that. Uh, you have to eat vegetable goop. You have to eat seed oil sludge, canola oil, or, hey, you can't use uh, generic products or vitamin D as a uh, natural way of protecting yourself from diseases. You can only use things that are legally immune, that have an active patent, and that have institutional support by your government authorities to take. That's just not acceptable. It's an attempt to return to the uh, primitive sacrificial mechanisms that the state used to employ, but now dress them up in the language of victim concern. It's going to fall apart. But what do you make of the merger or the... Uh uh, collusion that is, I think, increasing and becoming readily apparent everywhere um, in, in different uh, industries between government and corporations. Um, and govern the government, we talked about this a little bit when I was on your show, government really, I think, using corporations as a, as a proxy and to run cover for, uh, for tyranny. I mean, you, you look at this, what's happening in the state of New York with IBM and their vaccine database. Um, Lots of different ways. And there's now, you now have liberals. I just got in a discussion or argument, depends how you want to look at it, with a, with a guy uh, yesterday. Um, and he was, he was using the, uh, well, it's a private company. It's a private company. They, they, it's their, uh, they're just following their own uh, user agreements. Well, what, what, do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think that the uh, corporations are becoming, you know, they're revealing themselves to be incestuously directly connected to government for a long, long time now. And uh, I think that using classical libertarian arguments about private property doesn't do this conversation justice. I mean, you've got Google acting as an arm of the government. And then you can say, well, but the government, you know, it, it's just like this revolving door relationship between media and social media and, uh, you know, uh, special interest corporations and the government. And they're all kind of, you know, it's hard to know. It's like a hydra. You don't know what, what's connected to what, but it's all working in lockstep in the mimetic hive mind. We don't have to employ conspiracy. If we understand anthropology, we understand there's things like mirror neurons. We understand there's things like, you know, crowd phenomena that people have studied for hundreds of years. And we understand that there's it's a, it's a very understudied field that needs further research to understand exactly why it is that human beings get so locked up into these hive mind kind of mindsets. Like so so you know you look at as we talked about the airline industry, heavily regulated 
They, they actively lobby for theft. At what point do they lose their private property card? You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it's, you're actively initiating an aggression. And they and then then they make the argument, well, they have to because if you're going to have to compete, so it just becomes kind of a never-ending thing at that point because a lot of the libertarian-type arguments will say, well, they have to lobby for those regulations and they have to lobby for those bailouts because if they don't, then other market competitors will get them and then they'll put them out of business. So they, But, I mean, at what point are we just going back into the same justification of the use of force that status used at that point, you know? Yeah, I mean, eventually you reach a point in time where it's the government is just a, is just a puppet, and the corporations are, are the ones, uh, you know, using the uh, the arms and the the legs to uh, to kick people in the face. Yeah. But I, I did want to ask you ask you one more question here, or one more quick quick discussion. So I sent you an article. Um, three senators have uh, unveiled a, a package today. Um, they call it uh, ending the federal prohibition on cannabis. It's called. Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act. There's actually, I think, a lot of good stuff in here. Um, removing cannabis from the federal list of controlled substances. Um, state-compliant cannabis businesses will be treated like regular businesses with banking and things of that nature. Uh, it establishes, which this is stupid, but establishes the uh, minimum age of purchase is 21. Uh, this is good. The plan would require expungement of all federal nonviolent cannabis convictions, um, which that will leave many out who do have, uh, they've kind of lumped violent acts on, on top in order to keep people in prison longer. Uh, creates a grant program to fund nonprofits for people who've been adversely impacted by the war on drugs. The last thing, though, an excise tax starting at 10%, escalating up to 25%. On uh, on the sale of cannabis, and they have something in there for if you if if you're making less than twenty million or something that they're going to lower the tax somehow. What what do you make of this? Um, is it is this something we should support, not support, get behind? What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, I, I guess something's better than nothing, but I mean, they're always doing it in this hand fisted way where it's always going to maintain that little black market by putting those taxes and regulations that are going to provide for a. Uh, you know, a black market product to still thrive on the margins, of course, probably won't be as robust of a black market for that product if this kind of bill would be passed. Uh, but um, I would say whatever, you know, my priority is always the victims that currently are languishing in prison. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we know people like Craig Cecil and stuff, first time nonviolent offense related to moving trucks, moving, mar- I mean, he was doing repairs on trucks, moving marijuana, Everybody who handled the product got out. He was in there with a life sentence as terrorists came and go, rapists came and go. Um, just completely ridiculous that that he and many other people like him had to to spend so much of their fruitful years just languishing in a in a hellish nightmare. You know, he was, you know, what he was doing for the federal government. He was uh, in charge of uh, making. Um, you know, sewing these uh, shower curtains and they were special shower curtains called rape resistant shower curtains. What? Doesn't that summarize everything about the United States government that they're employing slave labor for nonviolent crimes to make rape resistant shower curtains? I mean, what a hellscape, what an absolute abomination uh, to humanity. So America has a lot to repent for, including, and I'm not saying just, uh, like only America, but you know, we're dealing with where we know and, you know, mm-hmm. all these governments have a lot to repent for, but 
Um, I mean, I think anything that can get more people back home to their children is a good thing. And uh, of course, the cronies are always going to put their fingers into it and, 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 and screw over more people with their little catches, like you were describing some of those things. But if it's an incremental step towards the right direction, then I think it's a good thing to, I mean, I don't know if there's an alternative thing, but if who is it Schumer's putting, putting it? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Schumer, Wyden, yeah. and Cory Booker. Yeah, um, so that's, it'll be interesting that's, to see what, what Ron Paul and uh, Mike Lee, if they, I'm sure they'll offer amendments if this does make its way yeah. forward. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a bright spot, you know, but we've got to, we've got to not stay just with that. We've got to go after all of these victimless crime laws because that's the moral basis by which they're doing all these lockdowns and shutting down businesses, you know, um, you know, in some ways it's funny these last times has, has shaken people's foundational thoughts about libertarianism. But in other cases, it's emboldened more people to look about libertarianism. You know what I mean? Because it's mm-hmm. like you look at these people who had their restaurants shut down and they were shut down because what? Occupational licensure, right? So what was just an abstract little, oh, what the heck are those libertarians going on about? Why do you need a food license? Well, it comes into play when many, many restaurants are being utterly vanquished for stupid pseudoscience nonsense. You know what I mean? And so, uh, so in some ways, the, the good news for liberty is there's more people are open to liberty ideas than ever before, you know. But at the same time, it's like there's, there's just a modification. You know, you see, wait a second, maybe we need to rethink what we think about, uh, you know, Facebook and Google being just private property companies. But maybe millions of other people are now saying maybe we need to rethink what libertarians were saying about occupational licensing for food. For, or, um, you know, churches being able to have their business, their churches going and, and uh, people being able to refuse products uh, that they don't want. Those are libertarian-type arguments that are now more stronger than ever before in the minds of a lot of people. So there's always good news in these, mind, these moments of, of bad behavior, but uh, it's just something that we have to work with what we can get, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I think w- with everything that's going wrong, I, I do agree with you that uh, long term, I'm I'm optimistic. I, I do think, uh, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but I do think all of this force, all of this evil happening in the world is bringing out um, a lot of people noticing it. And I think at the end of the day, it, it will be a white pill um, for the direction of civilization. So I, I'm definitely optimistic. David, thank you for coming on the show. Um, if you could just tell my audience, you know, where they obviously, when they can listen to your show, if they want, if they yeah. want to listen to it live, since you have a live radio show, where they can hear the recordings. I know there's other stuff that you work on. Just uh, plug away. Sure. You can listen to the show on a neighborschoice.com. That's a neighborschoice.com. We have a, we have an audio live stream player that, you know, from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, we're live there. Or you can watch us live on YouTube, although they make it hard for people to find my channel, those who subscribe to it or whatever. Or we're, we're also on Rumble and BitChute and uh, other platforms like that. And um, Or you can find our podcast at the podcast platforms where, um, you know, you can enjoy the show. I mean... It, isn't it great that we, you know, podcasts are just like talk radio. It's like the last bastion of free speech, you know, because of the RSS mm-hmm. feed, the nature of these things that you can, they don't have the ability to censor them as, as well yet, you know? So I hope that doesn't change because yeah. my goodness. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, 
there's been so many discussions on, on libertarian Twitter recently, but uh, you know, talking about there's been the discussion, you know, do, do our gun rights really protect us from anything when you know a corporation like uh, YouTube or or Apple can come out and just take your feet away, or uh, you know, the banks can say we're not going to do business with you, which which could happen. It's happened to people like Alex Jones, um, Laura Loomer. At what point? And at what point are they going to say that people like YouTube and stuff are violating the NAP and stuff? I mean, they got to yeah. make like like public service announcements, please find your neighbor who hasn't been vaccinated, report them to the authorities immediately. I mean, like at what point is enough is enough from these yeah. groups? You know what I mean? At what point Facebook and Twitter, what are they going to tell you? You know, if you see a child who doesn't look vaccinated, you know, report them, take a photo, send them to, you know, at what point are these guys, people going to say, wait a second, these institutions are not, they are very aggressive institutions. They don't care about your liberty. And they, it's been that way for a whole host of things. I think they probably throttle stuff about, uh, you know, sure. paradigm-shifting information about cancer and diabetes. I mean, who knows what their yeah. whole list of it is, you know? You, you look at Google, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all of them. They are – the people who write those algorithms are the most powerful people in the world. They can control your emotions. They can control what news you see. They can, they control the entire narrative. They control who you talk to, who you see. I mean, mm -hmm. when I look at my Facebook feed, there's only a select filter of uh, of things that I see. If I go and I actively search out people, I'm like, oh wow, you've been posting on Facebook. I haven't I haven't seen any of this, right. but it's right, yeah. it's it's incredible. So it's it's hard to know what the answer is, but yeah, like you said, it's great that we have uh, you know we. We complain about the United States, but compared to a lot of countries, at least we can still bitch about our government and uh, you know talk to other people and hopefully gather enough momentum to uh, to change some things. So, David, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for all that you do and uh, keep it up, man. Well, thank you. And I would just say for folks who love liberty, the the best solution for dealing with the state is to find voices like what John's done. He's voiced. He's brought on people. Uh, you know, who like John Boland, for example, and mm -hmm. you've told their story, the Boland family uh, put in cages for nonviolent crime. So so imitate John, do what he's doing. Find people who, you know, who have become victimized by state violence and 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 become scapegoats and just tell their story. Let their children speak if they want their children to speak. Let them show their pain. Let them show the human cost of these ignorant laws that we take for granted in so many cases. So tell the victim stories is number one. And number two is do what you can to learn about how we can promote paradigm shifting solutions for disease and pollution and energy. Because I think if we revolutionize, if we can set back all these chronic illnesses and obesity and different things like that, uh, and it's something that everybody can get on board with the facts and implement uh, inexpensively in their life, whether it's products or dietary changes, that's going to destroy the appetite for such pervasive nanny state control. And the same goes for energy. If we can create energy too cheap to meter that's pollution-free, that doesn't require government subsidies, that, again, eliminates another major narrative that the state uses to funnel people into uh, worshiping them as the only game in town. So just think about how the market and science can outcompete the forces of tyranny. And I think that's what we should be focused on, you know, not arguing about who's the most pure whatever. Just it's, it's, there's nothing more pure than solving cancer. I mean, for example, yeah. right? So why instead of fighting about who's right about NAP, 
go cure cancer or help somebody give them a platform. If they're doing a, a paradigm shifting thing, give them a Patreon support, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, promote their videos, do a podcast talking about their papers that they're publishing, amplify the voices of the Galileos of our time. And you have done more to liberate people from tyranny than anything you can imagine. Just about hundred percent agree on that note, share this podcast when you listen to it and go listen to David's show, Dave, David, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. All right, taking a quick break here. I want to talk to you all about my friend, friend of the show, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song. And uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called First World Problems. Basically, what it's doing is it's talking about you know, different concepts are woven throughout the track. You know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things. It's a really, really interesting track. Please go wherever you listen to your music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man, and please like this song, share with your friends, and it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out. Cost of education when internet is free. Blind window makers who simply cannot see. Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, if you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, if you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks. Or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash lions of liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt and we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.